Hello, um, all. This is Margot Kingston. This is my debut on the No Fibs podcast. And today I'm interviewing Jeremy Miller, who has just popped his head up and said he's going to stand for the very safe seat of Lyme in, in New South Wales. So, hi, Jeremy. Hi, Margot. How are you? Thanks for having me on the podcast. Pretty good. Now, I've looked up your background and you're a local radio announcer in the region, manager of the Manning Entertainment Centre, lots and lots of community work, and you've just resigned as the executive director of a very exciting theatre company called Monkey Buy. And I'm just thinking, like, why have you done this? Sure. Just about to resign. So, um, yes, we'll we'll wrap that up when the uh, election is actually called. Um, Why have I done it? Well... At a point, you've got to stop yelling at the television and get involved, don't you? You know, I'm raising my family here in line. My my kids are here. Uh, my wife and I have chosen to make this our home. And so I've always had, through all of my work, the belief that if you're able to do something to make a change and make the place better, then you have a responsibility to do it. And, you know, as you might find, a group of friends sitting around complaining about the way federal politics is going, and then eventually you go, well... I guess I better do something to try and fix it. So that gets down to the number of it, doesn't it? Um, I've read that you are a former National Party voter. So what has gone yeah, wrong? I've, uh, yeah, I'm more of a swinging voter. I have voted Nationals in the past, but uh, but I have also voted yep. in other ways. So I wouldn't say I'm rusted on or have been a member of the party or anything like that. Okay. Uh, but I'm now rusted off, I suppose, to use the hashtag. Um, yeah. So what has gone wrong? Well... I just don't think the National Party is representing the regions the way it used to. It, it used to actually represent the regions really well. And I'm going back to, you've got, you've got to go back to the Ian Sinclair kind of times, really, to find the National Party had teeth and actually stood up for regional communities. Um, and since then, look, they're the, they're the fluffy puppy that it's, of the Liberals. It's, it's, they don't have teeth anymore. They bark a little bit when it comes around to elections and then they go sit on their rugs and we certainly don't see them locally. So that's what I think has gone wrong in the main sense, that they, they're just unable to... You know, some will say they've been captured by special interests. I would certainly say they've become too involved in their own internal matters in terms of, you know, is Barnaby going to come back again? What, what on earth is going mm. on there? So they've completely lost the focus on the people that they used to stand for. What about climate change? Um, climate change and energy policy has is in stasis, I guess, and the Nats, for a reason I can't quite understand, have become noted for being a climate change denialist party. And I, I noticed that the current uh, member, David Gillespie, actually wants taxpayers to, to help finance a new coal-fired power station. Where do you stand on that? And, and is that part of your thinking in, um, in having a go? Yeah, well, again, you know, raising kids and worrying about the future. And you don't have to have kids to be worried about the future. But um, that, that's where my concern comes from. Um, yeah, look, climate change is a real thing. Um, and human beings are having a huge impact on climate change. I don't know why that's still a difficult thing for some people to say. I think the facts are in the, you know, the gate is closed. We have now figured this out and the issue should be over. We should now be talking purely about what are we going to do about it? So, yes, the the incumbent in line, Dr Gillespie, he, as you said, he came out uh, yesterday or the day before as we record this to say we should be spending public money on new coal-fired power plants. He's backing um, Barnaby Joyce in saying that, which is, again, brings in the internal leadership ructions of what's happening inside the National Party, why they're not 
backing and standing behind their leader. I have no idea. But but in this day and age, if there is no business case, and there is no business case to build a new coal-fired power plant, if there was, businesses would be doing it. If there is no business case for it, then then why is the conservative side of politics going for a, a, what in the old days you'd call a socialist policy of government mm. owning business, investing in businesses that, that have no future? It, it just does not make sense to me. So, yes, we need to not be building new coal-fired power plants. We should not be putting public money into them in, in any way. And that goes for land grants and, and any of the other ways that you can put public money into things. Uh, but what we should be doing is supporting, because there are a lot of people who still depend on coal for their livelihoods mm-hmm. and can't be punishing those people. So we need to stop arguing about climate change and climate taxes and all the silly slogans and actually get sensible about a policy to say, how do we transition the economy and transition those people towards a future yeah. that's going to work for them, work for the country, work for our individual wallets and work for the climate? Is there a, um, a renewables industry in line? It's it's a very big seat. I've looked it up. South of Port Macquarie, Tari, Gloucester, Dungog, Stroud. It's a it's a big seat. Is there is there any sort of movement at the station of interest in in a renewable um, renewables industry in in your seat? I haven't had conversations about renewables industry. I know that we were ahead of the curve um, with solar. Uh, there's a community in Elands and also uh-huh. the back of Bingham that was talking solar in in the 80s and and were fitting solar. So they they were way ahead of the curve in that. And then there are different types of sustainable industries. Logan Lee is a local bench top maker who is using local sustainably grown bamboo to make bench tops. Wow. Uh, Beautifully grown, beautifully yeah. done, and they're they're putting local grown bamboo bench tops into the opera house. They're, they're all over the place. So when you say sustainable, that's a broad brush. There's a lot of different ways that we can be truly sustainable. And that doesn't just mean, you know, slapping a bit of paint on something and calling it sustainable. It actually means what's the whole of life cost of this activity? Is it truly um, carbon neutral? You know, how does it give back to the land? How does it refeed the land? That's the, the sort of the sustainable industry. But the problem is because we're mucking around with slogans and, and haven't had a real sustainable policy on sustainability, then we're losing the opportunity to invest. And, you know, you look at some of the technologies, battery power is becoming much more affordable. There is a concern about what then happens with the battery's end of life. Um, So if you look at the whole life cycle cost of battery, that still hasn't quite been figured out in terms of what you do with the batteries once they're no longer useful. That's still a problem. But then you look at the CSIRO. I mean, the publicly funded scientists who invented Wi-Fi, let's be clear, these are geniuses um, who are working for the Australian people. And they've, they've come up with what appears to be scalable technology for hydrogen-powered cars. I mean, you, you, I don't know if you've mm. seen this. Have you seen the, the research? No. It's really no, it's amazing. They're, they're trialling it at the moment. There's a couple of cars driving around, and it's Australian technology that's invented this. But basically, you pour water into your car. The technology then splits the water, the oxygen floats off, and the hydrogen goes into the car. And the only thing that comes out of the exhaust pipe is water. This is Australian technology yeah. that's being yeah. invented. We just need a decent policy platforms so that Australian businesses can invest into these sorts of ideas. And there's no reason yeah. why we couldn't be world leaders in this stuff. Okay, well, look, let's get down to tin tax. 
the at the last election, Gillespie led Labor nearly 50% to 26% on primaries and won 61% to 38%. So you've got to say a very safe seat. I think it's become a, a little less safe after the 2018 redistribution, but it is a safe National Party seat. One thing that really interested me about um, Mr Gillespie's intervention in the preferences debate this week is he went on Sky and said that he thought that Labor was a worse party than One Nation and that he would prefer to preference One Nation above Labor. Is there a One Nation vibe in your seat? Um, Has One Nation ever stood before? And and what do you think about a, a, a competitor who believes that One Nation is better for the country than Labor. Well, I don't know if you turned on the ABC in the last week or so and seen the Al Jazeera work, but... Um, no, no, I haven't seen that, Jeremy. What's that all about? <laughs> oh, it's a little, no one's been talking about it. It's a little show. But how, how he can say uh, in the same week that that's been screening, how he yeah. can come out and say that just flabbergasts me. One Nation has stood candidates here locally before. They've never done particularly well. I don't have the figures, but it was, you know, something like 10% of the yeah. vote or something like that. Um, but yeah. you cannot count them out. Uh, what really worries me... Yes, but you... But, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, if, if they get a, a vote around 10%, I can't understand why Gillespie would be worried, given his margin, unless he believes that he could be in for a struggle in this seat. I suspect, and frankly, the internal ructions of the National Party are of very little interest to me. I'm I'm hyper-focused on what's happening locally. But the only explanation I have for those comments is that, you know, he has in the past put his hand up for national leadership. He quickly put his hand back down again when he found he had no support. He's starting to be joyous at the moment. I think he's sending a a message to Queensland, but that's the matter for him and the Nationals. Okay. All right. So you've put your hand up quite recently, this month, um, I presume you're, you're going from a, a standing start. How are you planning this campaign and what level of volunteer support have you got so far? Yeah, and as you said before, it's a very big seat, so uh, ensuring that we do actually get through the whole seat. Um, well, we've been holding... You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Cathy McGowan model that, that Indi um, <laughs> really built. I joined the club. I think, yeah, I know. It's a big club, isn't it? But just the way that they've managed to get local involvement, local consultation, and then as a sitting member reporting back to the local community, yes, having volunteer local community work with them in Parliament so they can get an idea of how Parliament works, just a beautiful model. Uh, so, so that's very much that that has inspired me. Um, so we've been doing She's the a total pioneer, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, and just such a, an elegant fabulous model of local representation, which is really what it's all mm. about. If you're an independent, the the point of difference is you're not answering to a head office, you're not answering to back rooms and, and a party. You you can have your own voice to represent the community. How do you best represent them? And yes, a big part of that is making sure the local community has a voice. So we've been holding the kitchen table meetings um, throughout the community. We obviously haven't reached every corner of the, of the electorate yet. Um, but we're reaching out and getting there. And it's a little bit of a jump off the cliff and build the aeroplane on the way down model. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so by declaring and going out there publicly, uh, I, you know, people are now starting to come out of the woodwork and rally to the cause, and that's fantastic. And so I'm being invited to Chamber of Commerce meetings and things like that. And really, between now and the election, my only job is to get through every corner of the community and try and hear as many voices as I can. Um, what sort of volunteer level have you got at the moment? Uh, at the moment, there's a lot of interested and involved people. Have they signed up to be volunteers? I think we've got maybe 15. Um, that's a good start. Wow. And then there's, there's a whole lot of other people who are, there's probably another 40 or 50 who have taken mm -hmm. the time to meet, who have said they're happy to support, but haven't actually signed in the dotted line yet. Right. But frankly, we've just got through the New South Wales election and, and people will start sure. to become focused when the election is called. Now, have you got a good IT person? Because um, Cathy's campaign um, sort of did a lot of work with something called Nation Builder. Yeah. Part of the campaign was, was getting techie stuff working for us. Yes, sure. Look, Nation Builder, it's a tool like any other tool. There, there are other tools around. But if you have a look at most of the independents, and in fact, some of the major party um, sitting people also have Nation Builder. So, it, look, it's a tool. You know, I'm not, not advertising for Nation Builder. They could give it to me for free if I was advertising for them, I suppose. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, it sits in front of a WordPress uh, model that makes it easy to put your website up. But what yep. you're talking about is the data that happens behind the scenes. But it allows people yep. to make decisions yep. through PayPal and it allows people to register as volunteers. Yep. And it certainly is handy in terms yep. of the data. And we're up against, you know, heavily, heavily resourced people who have a lot of money to throw at big yep. data. Um, so mm. tools like this certainly help. And from what I've gathered over the years, the NAT site, very hard and if necessary, dirty to win. So, you know, you've got a very big job. Now, what about funding? Um, have you got donors organised or are you self-funding? How are you um, managing your core flutes and your T-shirts and all that stuff? There's a little bit of me and my mortgage going on, um, which right is scary. <laughs> but if you want to talk Money about unrestricted, then yep, exactly. You gotta you gotta jump in with both feet on this one. And then we are mm. seeing some small donors come through. I got the question on ABC Radio yesterday. You know, have you got large donors behind you? Gosh, I wish. Um, as long as they came yes. with those strings, I'll take some large money. Um, I say that in jest, of course. At the moment, it's mums and dads who are giving sort of fifty to eighty dollars. Yeah. Uh, that, but yeah. that's fantastic because that's people who sometimes can't really afford to be making donations to things. Exactly. So that's showing that they exactly. – yeah, I, I'm so grateful for that level of support. It would be one thing for a multimillionaire to write me a big cheque, but for mums and dads to donate 80 bucks, that's just fantastic. It is. And, and you're, you're pretty well known. Like you were a radio announcer and ran the Manning Arts Centre in Taree, isn't it? Um, are you, would yeah. you consider yourself well known in the area? Oh, can you add? Like, yes, I'm a huge star. No, I, no <laughs> I'm well known in a small section. Uh, so, yes, I was on, on okay. the commercial station for a while, which broadcast into Foster, Kari yes. and Gloucester. So there'll still be some, some people yep. who are in yeah. I met a woman um, a few years ago who named her child after me, which is a very confronting and humbling Lovely. thing to say. I know, right? What do you say to that? That's, that's just a beautiful thing for someone to say. Um, so there's somebody in the local area walking around with the name of Jeremy to whom I apologise. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's just a, a, a lot. I just didn't know what to say. To, you know, beautiful. So and then I ran the Manning Entertainment Centre, which services through Foster uh, Curry and Gloucester as well, the old Manning Great Lakes yeah. and Gloucester Council areas before they yeah. were amalgamated. 
you wouldn't say I was particularly well known through Camden Haven and Warhope. You wouldn't say I was particularly well known through Dungog and, and the old sort of Patterson. Right. So yes, I do still. I've, I've got a reasonable base to start with, but I do have a significant amount of work still to do to get around, have those conversations, and meet people. Mm. The the reason I'm asking is that Line has got a history with independence. Um, Rob Oak shot uh, one in the seat of Lyon in 2008 and he, uh, and he beat David Gillespie in 2010 and then, of That's course, right. retired after a, um, a storied career. <laughs> Federal parliament. Um, so you have got that history. As we know, Rob's moved north to Cowper, given the redistribution has um, really altered the, the composition of both seats now. Um, I'm wondering whether there's sort of a, an informed alliance of, of quality independence starting to form. I know that you know Karen Phelps and Zali Stegall um, have got in, are in contact with Rob. I just wonder whether there's some mutual support that can go on. You know, just just trying to um, really promote the idea of of quality independence um, winning in, in in safe coalition seats to try and progress us. Um, towards a decent climate change and um, and energy policy. Yeah, I think that's fantastic, but it's a matter of how you walk that line. I think there's definitely ways that we can support each yeah. other in terms of tactics and structure, uh, but we are, you know, it says on the poster, we are independent. Um, and I know through mm. this Nauru legislation, um, the government was starting to say, well, here's a block of voters who are pseudo-independents who are voting together and you mm -hmm. start to get tired with that. Process. So you need to be very careful not to, or we need to be very careful not sure. to uh, open up that line of attack. Perhaps that would come anyway. But one of the first things I did, I mean, you, you would be silly not to, is I went and had a coffee with Rob. We knew each other because I was on radio when he was a local member. We hadn't spoken for five or six mm -hmm. years, but I, I gave him a call and went and had a coffee and he was very generous with his time. Just talking about things like, He's got young kids. I've got young kids. Now, what is the cost on the family? How do you how do you manage that? You know, the kids are going to get picked on in the schools. How do you start to structure your office? Those sorts of conversations. So, any conversation with with any of the other independents, I don't. We probably wouldn't talk policy. I don't think that would be appropriate. We're all coming up with policies for our own local areas. But in terms of structure and tactics and the simple questions of, well, how do you structure your office? How do you best manage your volunteer <laughs> network? How do you run a campaign? How, yeah, how, how do you do this thing? Those sorts of things that only yeah. people who have done it can answer. Yes, so it would be great to be part of a, a self-help group in that sense. Okay, now, to get to the nitty-gritty, um, at the last election, again, it's, it's, it's less safe now, but Gillespie got 49.5% and the ALP came second on 26 points. 4%. So for you to have a chance in this seat, you you must um, take a, a fair number of National Party votes and you must get a fair number of ALP and Greens first preferences to ensure that you come second in the primaries. Because if you come third, the, the National Party voters who are voting for you as a protest will go back to the NAT and he'll win. Now, that is very, very tricky. Um, Kathy managed it in... Um, in Indi in 2013, and Karen managed it in Wentworth last year. How are you going to manage that? And in particular, what is your preference ticket going to say um, to, to maximise your chance, chances of getting that that coalition of left, centre-left, centre and right voters behind you? Sure. Um, 
Yeah, the historical, the independents and minor parties have never been able to get ahead of the Labor Party. Uh, well, since Rob, with Rob is the exception. Yeah. Um, in the last yeah. couple of elections, they haven't been able to get ahead of the Labor Party. So what then generally happens is the, the vote that was going to the independents split kind of 60-40, 60% back to the National yeah. Party and 60% Labor. People go back to their, their sort of, you know, traditional areas. Uh, so, yes, you're mm-hmm. correct. So the only way is at the point at which Labor would be knocked out on preferences, I need to be ahead at that point. So the only way to do that is to get out and talk to people, articulate my policies as best I can, and use every method available to me to convince people to think about change. It's the simple message mm-hmm. that if if you want to make change, you have to make a change. Uh, and you have to try mm. both independent to see if we, we we know exactly the road that we're going to go down. Uh, National yeah. Party would win again if I hadn't come forward or another independent hadn't come forward. Coincidentally, the same margin that, that Zali has to climb with Tony, Tony Abbott. Uh, oh, exactly really? Margin. Uh, but David Gillespie is not as on the nose locally as Tony Abbott is, so it's a much more difficult campaign in that sense. Uh, yes, and, and Sophie that. Mirabella was wasn't liked at all either. So you've got that little problem. That's um, right. But so locally, there is a sense that local member isn't working hard enough for us, uh, and we sort of wonder right. what you do between elections. But there isn't that level of you know baseball bat that might have been around for, for Sophie Mirabella and, and maybe around for Tony. So have you decided how you're um, going to preference, or, or if you're going to preference at all? What what's the best thing for you to do strategically? I think as an independent, you need to remain an independent, um, and yep. which is coincidentally what I would believe anyway. Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable telling yep. somebody to vote one way or the other. So I think the mm-hmm. only the only way to go is to go with my heart, which is to say all the people of line mm-hmm. are intelligent people. Mm-hmm. They can tell the different policies of the different parties apart. They have the intelligence to fill in the ballot paper any way they wish. So I certainly hope, and I will try to convince them to put a one beside my name, but where they put the two, three, yep. four, five, six is entirely up to them, and I won't yep. be in any direction. Okay. Um, if I can make a suggestion, one of the things that um, Kathy's campaign did in Indi is um, she ran like education campaigns on on Twitter, obviously, which <laughs> I certainly advocate, but but in particular on how the voting system works. Mm-hmm. It's really surprising how many people haven't got a clue about preferences. And what I found, um, I supported Karen in Wentworth, as you know, and I, I sort of ran and, and other people ran a, a, a almost like a strategic voting education campaign that if it's crystal clear, which it certainly is in line, that Labor cannot win the seat and that if people want to change, the only chance is you, then you've got to be second on primaries and therefore it's really important that People vote one for you, and if they really want to vote one for Labor or Greens or Independents, they, they preference you second. Um, is there any scope for, like, if, if you could have some sort of education campaign among your volunteers, they could sort of spread the word? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a sensible way to go. I, I know you and I are quite engaged in this process and, and understand because we've chosen to focus on it, not because we're any smarter than anybody else, we've just chosen to focus on it. And we need to remember that not everybody is inside what I'll ironically call the bubble, and then I'll put that on that phrase. Of course, yeah. (laughs) But um, a lot of people just aren't as engaged with it as as we are. So, yes, you're right. 
running some sort of um, education to say, well, if you wanted to send a protest vote that was Labor 1, Jeremy 2, then that vote just isn't going to flow through unless I happen to be ahead at that point. Um, so, yes, yeah. you're right, there is some sort of a, a scope for some education on it. In terms of telling people particularly where to put their numbers and preferences, that won't be something that I'm doing. Exactly. Um, the other thing that um, we found in, in Wentworth was that the Greens preferenced Labor second, and um, that was sort of so disturbing to the Greens that actually Bob Brown and Richard Di Natale put out tweets at the end of the last week saying, please ignore our preference ticket and, and preference Karen um, first after you and not Labor. Is there any move at this stage for, for, for there to be discussions between you and the Greens um, uh, to, to try and avoid that potential pitfall? No, I haven't had any conversations with any Greens candidates or members or, or, or party machinery or anything like that. Um, and I'm, I'm fairly open about who I have conversations with, so there's no sort of backroom conversations happening. Uh, sure. I think really with the Greens, they will choose to put their preferences where they think it will best serve the people of line, I would hope. Um, and so I don't yeah. know that I have any way of convincing them one way or the other. I'd, I'd hope they have a look mm -hmm. at the I hope everybody, I hope all the parties, look at the landscape and say, well, okay, we, we want our own voters to put ourselves one, but who you choose two, three and four is not necessarily ideologically based. It's who's actually going to serve mm -hmm. the local area the best. Uh, and so the Greens chose to put me second. Fabulous. That, that would be great. But um, no, I haven't had any of those yes. conversations with them. Okay. Well, I'm now going to give a Twitter plug. For everyone on Twitter who lives in line, please use hashtag line votes so that Twitter has a news feed. Jeremy is at Jeremy for F-O-R line L-Y-N-E. You're also on Instagram, Jeremy? Instagram and Facebook. It's interesting around here. Twitter doesn't, uh, locally, Twitter doesn't seem to have the cut through that Facebook does, but I'm across all three. And at all three, I'm at Jeremy for line, F O R line. Yep, yep. See, Twitter to me is, is for political projects and, and people who are really active and engaged in politics. And that's why I, I think Twitter is right. important, not because of the reach, because of the because of the people. And I know that um, Kathy ran, you know, a whole series of Twitter workshops, get on Twitter, you know, make it happen. And you had all these sort of middle-aged women that had never done anything like this before, absolutely starring, you know, really creative. And, you know, you, you know, you just take pictures of volunteers and different events and, and keep the buzz going. Um, so, I mean, I, I would, I would recommend that. Um, I, I'm actually coming down, um, to um, document um, Rob's campaign, and if you'll let me, I'd be happy to come down and do a, a Twitter workshop if, if you're interested. Sure, I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah, and, and I think the 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 time when Twitter and Facebook and Instagram were a young person's game, otherwise the young people are all running off Facebook, they're off something new now because we oldies keep invading all the cool spots. Uh, so, yes, there's a lot of older people who are involved in Twitter and Facebook and, and increasingly Instagram now too. Mm. And you can have different levels of conversation across the different platforms. As you say, you have the more sort of the political junkies conversation on Twitter uh, and sometimes it's more of a national focus as well. Um, Facebook, you can have a more conversational and sometimes behind the scenes, you know, Facebook Live. Oh. 
And then Instagram, I try to have a bit of a sense of humor. So you'll see photos of me cool. doing early ABC interviews before I've done my hair, you know, a bit of behind the scenes of Jeremy's person <laughs> on Instagram. So if you want to, in fact, my Instagram bio says, is more sensible on Twitter. I see. Excellent. So you need um, uh, fears and you need money. So what's your website address for people who are listening and, and would like to get involved? The same as the Twitter, Instagram, and, and Facebook is Jeremy, F-O-R-Line, L-Y-N-E. Uh, yes, you can donate on the website there through PayPal, so it's all nice and safe. Uh, and yes, you can register to volunteer. And there's a number of ways that people can volunteer. You might just volunteer to be a social ambassador, as you're saying, to spread the word on Twitter. You might volunteer just to put a sign up on your lawn, or you might like to volunteer to be out and about, you know, handing out pamphlets and helping us on election day. There's a lot of different ways that people can be in based on their and, and crucially, you could you could volunteer to um, do a do a, a couple of hours on the pre polls. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's uh, it's so two important. weeks, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thanks the, a lot, Jeremy, and I, I hope to meet you. Thank you, Margo. Thanks for your time. Great to be on the podcast. Pleasure.